Hello and welcome to the hot seat. I'm here with Dr. Daphne Halikopoulou of the LSE. We're talking about the far right and radical right. Dr. Daphne, are we seeing a rise of the far right in Europe? Yes, we are. Uh, at least this is what recent electoral results are indicating across Europe. So, for example, in the recent French presidential elections, Marine Le Pen got almost 18% uh, of the vote, uh, which is even more than uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen had uh, received back in 2001. Uh, the more recent election in Greece uh, witnessed both the rise of far-right parties such as independent Greeks. They got 10% of the vote with 33%, uh, sorry, 36, 33 seats in Parliament. But uh, we also witnessed, more worryingly perhaps, the rise of the uh, right-wing extremist uh, street movement, the Golden Dawn, uh, which is... Uh, a militant Nazi organization. They received 6.97% uh, of the votes cast and uh, got 21 uh, seats uh, in the parliament. But uh, uh, also in other European countries we could see the support, for example, for the Dutch uh, Freedom Party, Gerd, Gerd Wilders Party, or uh, the Swiss SVP. Perhaps, uh, however, we shouldn't classify all these parties as belonging to the same party family. A lot of people are talking about the rise of the, of the far right in Europe, but what is important is to remember that these parties are also fundamentally different. On the one hand, what we're witnessing in Western Europe is the rise of parties that scholars would term as modernised or revamped. These are parties, for example, the, as I said, the SVP, um, the, the Dutch Freedom Party, um, even to an extent, uh, the BNP and the Front National, these are parties that are trying to detach themselves from their old uh, fascist or Nazi ties. These are parties that are trying to revamp their rhetoric, uh, to steer away from traditional uh, racial discrimination, traditional racism. So, for example, like um, these Western European parties are now steering towards um, targeting particularly Muslim extremism. So they're saying it's not that we target immigration because these people are racially different. We don't target them because of the blood origins, but we target them because of their ideas. We target them because of their beliefs. We want to exclude them because they are intolerant and because allowing them in our society would imperil um, our liberal democratic values, which is what we stand for. Uh, on the other hand, the Greek Golden Dawn isn't like that at all. It's a, it is the extreme face of the extreme right, if you like. Uh, this is a party that has got a traditional ideological base that is very close to Nazism. It is a militant party. It uh, supports violence. It's got a very uh, irredentist foreign policy. And they're quite proud of the fact. So what factors explain the rise of the far right? You've already touched on um, the cultural factors to do with uh, tolerance and Western liberal democracy, um, but economic factors are often cited as a major reason behind the rise of the far right. So what is underpinning this rise that we're seeing? Yeah, so as you say, the, the classic model is that it's known as the demand model that looks at economic crisis as linked to the rise of the far right. For example, scholars have used uh, theories along these lines to explain the rise of fascism in interwar uh, Germany, for example. But the problem... So, so, so what, what these theories are saying is that crisis creates a pathology in society. It creates a society that consists of winners and losers, and it is those losers that, as protest, will then uh, resort to parties of the extreme or the radical right. But the problem with these theories is that, yes, they explain the demand base of this type of politics, but not all 
uh, economic crisis have produced the support for radical right politics. So, for example, the oil crisis in the 1970s didn't produce a dramatic support uh, for for the right. So that compels us to also look at at supply, uh, in other words, to look at how these parties themselves uh, change and revamp the rhetoric to make their stances attractive to the electorate. And it's also interesting to look at, of course, the the political opportunity structures, to look at um, the party system itself and how uh, support for fringe parties um, has a space or not. So um, could you expand a bit on how um, much the idea of a clash of civilizations, effectively, the Western liberal democracy on one hand, um, the idea of Islam, militant Islam, extremist Islam, um, how the interplay between those two is contributing to the support for the far right? Yeah, I mean, as I said, we're witnessing this more and more in Western Europe. So essentially, this clash of civilization and, um, you know, Islamophobia are providing an opportunity for these parties to change their platforms and become more attractive to the electorate. So take the Swiss SVP, for example. One of the recent uh, campaigns had this, was based on a poster. The poster depicted um, a few innocent-looking white sheep, all based on a Swiss flag. One of the white sheep was kicking the black sheep out. Um, But they tried to justify this campaign as saying, we're not kicking the black sheep out because it is black. We're not kicking it out because of its racial origins. We're kicking it out because it is the criminal sheep. The black sheep has the same connotation as in English. We're kicking it out because it is the criminal sheep that is going to erode our safe, liberal, democratic, um, tolerant society. So, and we're witnessing this uh, as well in, in Britain with, uh, for example, the rise of the English Defence League. Um, looking at the rhetoric, the way they try to portray themselves is, no, we're not against people of different racial origins. No, we're not um, seeking to be violent against, uh, against Jewish people, for example, or, or uh, other racial, people of other racial backgrounds. But we are particularly targeting those Muslim extremists because they are seeking to erode our national identity. They're seeking to erode everything that Britain stands for, which is pluralism and democracy and liberalism. So what about the Golden Dawn in Greece? You spoke about them being a particularly extreme party. Are they separated from that European far-right mainstream, effectively, then? Yes, I I would say they are. So what's interesting about the Golden Dawn is that they've been around for quite a while. This is not a new party. Uh, But they would receive maybe 0.2 or 0.3% of the votes cast. This election they received 6.97 and got 21 seats in Parliament, as I've already said. Um, But their platforms do not resemble those radical right parties of Western Europe that we have been discussing. Their platforms are very closely linked to Nazism, so um, support for Hitler even, and yeah, Nazi policies. They are blatantly anti-Jewish, they are blatantly anti people of any other racial background. In fact, they only they believe that Greece should be occupied only by Aryan Greek people. Um, I quote, uh, these people support violence as a mean for attaining their policies. They're a militant organization, so they, um, they have uh, military ways of, of organizing, 
organizing themselves. They don't accept uh, any form of immigration as legal. So for them, all immigration is illegal. Uh, furthermore, they've got quite an irredentist foreign policy. They would like to renegotiate, apparently, the, uh, the Cyprus question. And interestingly, they also suggested putting landmines on Greece's border to control immigration, which, by the way, they want to halt completely and expel all immigrants from Greece. What is worrying is that they actually perpetrate violence and they've, they've actually been responsible for many violent acts against uh, immigrants in Greece and um, a lot of their members actually have criminal records. So what's interesting as well is that um, their inclusion in the Greek parliament grants them parliamentary immunity, which is a partial exemption from the law. Who votes for the Golden Dawn? It's interesting that you should, you should mention that. Um, on the one hand, of course, you can say that the Greek election was characterised by protest and anger, and that is clearly one of the reasons. But looking more closely, initially the estimates were that the Golden Dawn would be successful in the urban centres, so say mainly in Athens and perhaps Thessaloniki, in certain deprived areas whereby um, you know, elderly, elderly people were actually uh, fearful of, of crime and immigration and the Golden Dawn portrayed themselves as sort of the modern Robin Hoods, those who would be able to provide protection and security for them. But what the election showed, interestingly, is that the Golden Dawn enjoyed widespread nation, nation um, sorry, it, it enjoyed uh, nationwide support. So there is no urban-rural divide. Um, it came second or third party in many constituencies. For example, interestingly, in Corinth, it got 12% of the vote, which is, which is quite massive. And... Um, some initial analysis of who voted for the Golden Dawn indicated that it is essentially male uh, between the ages of 18 and 50 or 55, uh, generally of lower educational backgrounds that, that voted for these people. But an overall 6.97% of the vote in both urban and rural areas is quite, quite significant. What about the, the picture in Britain? So, um, an interesting development that uh, took place recently is that Tommy Robinson, the leader of the English Defence League, the leader of the EDL, uh, uh, recently announced that he is going to enter politics. He's in fact going to uh, be the deputy leader of the British Freedom Party. I think this is an interesting development in that in, in seeing what kind of political space is occupied by the BNP, which didn't do very well in the previous elections uh, and, and therefore is considered by many as, as a force that is declining in British politics, and how now forces from the English Defence League are trying to occupy that political space. Interestingly, they're doing exactly what I was talking about earlier on. So the EDL and the British Freedom Party, from what I've, I've, taken a, I've, I've seen, they're trying to use this rhetoric, this anti-extremist, anti-Muslim extremist, Islamophobic kind of rhetoric to counter the BNP and get support, whereas the BNP is, is, is a party that hasn't been successful in trying to modernise and revamp its rhetoric and in um, detaching itself from, uh, from fascism to the same extent. So is this new party trying to outflank the BNP to the right or take over the same ground that the BNP have been trying to hold on to for the last few years? What is interesting about these parties is, is to what extent they're attracting voters that are extreme or to what extent they're attracting voters that are more mainstream and anti-immigrant. So according to some scholarly work, there is latent support for parties of the, of, of the right. 
uh, or parties right of the centre-right because anti-immigration is quite a mainstream sentiment. A lot of people don't vote for the BNP because it's considered still illegitimate in the eyes of the voter. So I think what these parties are doing, perhaps cleverly so in, in some countries, is that they're trying to portray themselves as legitimate uh, political forces so as to try and gain support from those members of, of, the, of, the, of the people who do have anti-immigrant sentiments but do not want to associate themselves with an illegitimate party that is tied with fascism or Nazism. Thank you very much, Dr. Daphne Harikopoulou. You're off the hot seat.